Good evening. Glad you're here. It's good to be with you tonight. I once had an experience that was almost exactly unlike the ones we read about in these parables here in Matthew chapter 13. One year for Christmas, my dad was gifted a gold panning set. And out in Colorado, some people think there's still gold in some of those rivers. Maybe there is. I don't know. Uh, but So we went out and used that gold panning set in a river somewhere he looked up online that he thought might be a good spot. And we went down into the river, and mind you, it's Colorado. The water is melted snow, and it's cold. And we're in there, and we got these plastic gold pans, and we're digging up the sand, and we're trying to shake it down to get to see where we see the gold. And we're out there for about an hour and a half, and we start finding what me and him both think is gold. And we're pretty excited about it. We're like, man, our first time out. And of course, it's not you know, big nuggets or anything, but just these little flakes. We're like, man, first time out, and we're already getting some stuff. And uh, we're at it, you know, like I said, for about an hour and a half, and then we leave and we head home. And once we get home and we can see a little bit more clearly what we've put in our little gold-collecting vial, we see that there's no way it was gold. Almost 100% sure it was just plastic. I don't know if there was, like, a car accident somewhere up the river. It was right off the highway. I honestly don't know. But he had, it barely, it was just this yellowish color plastic. And me and him were both extremely disappointed. Almost the exact opposite of what we see in this parable. I hope if you're not in Matthew 13, you would turn in your Bibles. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44. And we're continuing our study of different parables of Jesus. In Matthew 13, 44 through 46, you kind of get a two-for-one deal here. You get two parables, very similar, just a very nuanced difference. And they're both really getting at the same message, though. And they're pretty short. But I have to say, Matthew 13, 44, this is my favorite parable. And I love what Jesus says here and some of the implications of it. So let's read that text again before we look at it more deeply. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So a couple things here, starting with the first parable of the man finding the treasure in the field. I think it's good to say that both of these events were not unlikely in Jesus' time. And it might seem pretty odd for us that you'd find some money buried in a field somewhere, and then you'd be able to just buy that field, and all of a sudden the money's yours. But according to Judean law at the time, from everything I can see, that's not technically illegal. We might say it's not necessarily the most ethical thing to do, but the law at that time was almost finders keepers. And if this man finds his money in this field, and he can buy the field, then whatever's on that field is his. So he can have that money. And you've got to think, there's no uh, Citizens Bank and Trust right down the street. There's no FDIC-insured financial institutions. What are you going to do with your money if you want to keep it safe? common thing was to bury it in the ground. Think about the parable of the man, uh, the parable of the talents, as it's often called. Remember the man given one talent? What did he do with his one talent to keep it safe? Buried it in the ground. That, that's, his, that's the first thing that popped into his head. Man, I don't want anybody to take this. He went and he buried it in the ground. But in this example, somebody apparently buried some money away for safety's sake. They were unable to return to it. And laws regarding these cases, as I said, were essentially finders keepers. So the man was able to keep the treasure as long as he owned the land. He just needed to buy the land. And that's exactly what he did. 
he covered it up. He went out and noticed that in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field so that he can have the treasure. Both these parables share pretty much a common point. One writer wrote this, The main point of these parables is that the kingdom of God is so valuable that it is worth sacrificing anything to gain it. And you see that in both these parables. The first man selling everything that he owns so that he can buy the field with the treasure in it. The merchant, the same thing. He finds this one pearl of great value. And he sells everything that he owns so that he can purchase it. Just like the man who, upon finding a a, a vast treasure, has a joyful willingness to give up everything in order to attain it, those who seek God's kingdom must be willing to joyfully surrender everything for the sake of God's kingdom. One brother wrote concerning this parable here in verse 44, that the man who found the treasure had three right aspects. He had rightly valued the treasure, he rightfully sacrificed whatever it took to attain it, and he did so with the right expression, joy. And we see the result, it's pretty short. He knows where it is, he does what he has to do to get it, and that's really the end of the story. A couple of points of application for us, though, where this applies for us, where the rubber meets the road, if you will. A couple of realizations, I hope, that we've come to. The first one being that nothing in this life comes close to the value of God's kingdom. Now, there are some valuable things in this life. I think we would all agree on that. Family is a valuable thing. Friendship's a valuable thing. It's nice to have shelter and a good place uh, to live and to grow up and to uh, whatever it may be. It's good to have a job. It's good to be able to take care of your family. But all of this pales in comparison to the value of God's kingdom. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across. It's one of the few things in existence that has such a high intrinsic value. And therefore, the kingdom is worth everything, and it's worth every effort to attain and to be a part of. And the kingdom's value, when you think about it, the kingdom's value is seen in a couple of different things. In the first place, the kingdom's value is seen in its leadership. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, you have what many call the Lord's Prayer, what we often call, rightfully so, the model prayer. And Jesus starts out that prayer saying, Disciples, this is how you are to pray, my Father who art in heaven. And you go down and it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. So who does the kingdom belong to? It belongs to God. That in and of itself gives it some worth. The kingdom is valuable because of its cost. In Acts 20, verse 28, the very blood of God's Son was shed to purchase it. That gives it so much value. When we think even about earthly kingdoms, and we say this prayer, and there's nothing wrong with this prayer, when we're thinking about and meditating on how thankful we are to be in this country, especially around certain holidays, and we think about the blood that was shed to secure some of those freedoms. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should be thinking of that. Think about the blood that was shed to secure the kingdom of God. It has to give it value. Next, the kingdom is valuable because of its benefits. It's valuable because of its leadership. It's valuable because of its cost. It's valuable because of its benefits. Notice Colossians 1, verses 13 through 14. 
And notice what Paul says about the kingdom and the Colossian Christians' transference, if you will, from one kingdom to the next. Colossians 1, verses 13 through 14. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, notice here, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Another thing that gives the kingdom value is its benefits. What do you have in the kingdom? Why is it so valuable? Part of it is because of what you receive when you're a member of that kingdom. Redemption. The forgiveness of sins, a clean slate with God, being bought back from the world and sin and its clutches and death. And you overcome all of those things, how? By being in the kingdom. That's part of why it is so valuable. Even a literal field full of treasure pales in comparison to the worth of God's kingdom. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Where he says, don't lay, up for your tre- don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Why? Because those things can be corrupted. They can become moth-eaten. They can become stolen. They can become rusted and break down. They're temporary. They're transient. Instead, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? There's no moths. There's no rust. There's no thieves to break up and steal, break in and steal. And where our treasure is, our heart will be also. I hope we're starting to see the value of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is valuable, likewise, because when you think about it from this aspect, it's the culmination of God's activity with creation, with his creation, with the world. In the Old Testament, ever since that first sin, what is God working towards? Genesis 3.15. For the seed of the woman to come and to trample on the head of the, uh, of, the, of the serpent. That's what ushers in God's kingdom on earth. And then the entire New Testament, what is it about? What is it writing about? What is it looking back on? God's kingdom being founded and the fact that we can be a part of it. And then even in Revelation, what do we see? God's kingdom coming down onto heaven and God dwelling with man. You see the value in God's kingdom in that Really, the entire Bible is pointing towards it. Way more valuable than treasure in a field, but that's what Jesus compares it to. And the next place, for us, the kingdom's great value requires personal sacrifice. You see, the man found the treasure in the field, but it wasn't enough just to dig it up and to keep it for himself. He needed to be the rightful owner of it. That required sacrifice. For the man, the cost was worth it. Having correctly valued that treasure, he says, wait a second. Even if I sell everything I own, I'm getting a return on my investment. That's how much of a big deal this treasure was. And I hope we have the same mindset. Even if we give up everything we own for Jesus, even if we give up every sinful relationship we want to cling to, even if we give up every sinful habit that we're clinging to, even no matter how enjoyable it is, even if we end up in poverty and persecuted and even martyred like some of those early Christians, even if that's the cost, Jesus says it's worth it. Why? That's how valuable the kingdom really is. 
And just as the man with the treasure in the field is willing to do whatever it takes in order to secure this treasure of great value, we ought to have a similar outlook on the kingdom of God. That I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be a part of it. That I'm willing to do whatever it takes to further it. I'm willing to do whatever it takes in my life to put the kingdom first and to live as a member of it. This is not to say that we earn our spot in God's kingdom, that we can buy our way into it, though there are conditions. The point is, recognizing the value of the kingdom, we ought to be willing to do whatever is necessary to be a part of it and to remain in it. And being a part of God's kingdom is certainly worth the cost. Notice in your Bibles, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Mark eight thirty-four. Notice what Jesus says to his disciples. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, that is, if anybody would follow me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. And Jesus explains why this is necessary. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And then Jesus asks this question. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And in the Greek language, when you ask a rhetorical question, you already know what the answer is. When Jesus says, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know the answer is nothing. And then notice verse 37. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Again, nothing. And Jesus is trying to get people to realize that even though it might seem radical and irrational to be all in on Jesus, it makes sense. Why? Because he is who he says he is. Because he really is ushering in a kingdom and purchasing a church of God's redeemed people where there is forgiveness of sins, where there is eternal life, where there is joy and hope and peace, and these things are real. And Jesus says, but you got to do something. You have to follow me, and in order to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must be willing to, as it were, Not seek to preserve your own life and comfort if it comes down to it, but instead be willing to lose your life, to lose your comfort for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. The gospel requires great personal sacrifice. Notice Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Luke 14, 33. And this is the very conclusion of Jesus' discussion of what we often call counting the cost. He gives an example of a man trying to build a tower, doesn't have enough money, he can't finish, all of his friends laugh at him. He gives the example of a man going out to war, and he says, wait a second, how many men do you have? I think I'll stay at home. And he talks about how embarrassing that is, and he says, in the same way, if you're going to follow me, you need to count the costs. This isn't something just to jump into willy-nilly and not consider. And in Luke 14, verse 33, Jesus says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
And you read that and you say, does that mean I have to go out and I have to sell all my belongings and I have to sell my house and I have to live on the street and I can no longer take care of my family? That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying if it comes down to it and you have to make a choice between your wife and Jesus, you have to make a choice between your stuff and Jesus like the rich young ruler had to make. When it comes down to it, you have to be willing to choose Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus says, you're not really my disciple. Being a part of God's kingdom comes with a cost. And the history of Christianity is full of accounts of those who followed the Lord at great personal cost. There's some in this room right now who have followed the Lord at great personal cost. And it's caused you tears. And it's caused you pain. But Jesus says it's worth it. Because what he brought to us is true and what he brought to us is real. And in him we can have life and we can have it more abundant. The kingdom is costly, but Paul would say the cost is worth it. Look at Acts 14, verse 22, and notice what the Apostle Paul says to the Christians there. Acts 14, 22, he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to keep them going in the faith. And it says there in Acts 14, 22, that he's strengthening the souls of the disciples. How is he going to do this? Encouraging them to continue in the faith. How is he doing this? He's saying to them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He's telling them, look, you haven't had it very easy. That's how it's going to be, but it's worth it. At the end of the road, you have full entrance, full inheritance into the kingdom of God. And when you think about it from the perspective of what Christ has brought to us, I think it starts to make more sense. Jesus Christ, existing before he came to earth, eternally in the form of God, Philippians 2 tells us. God the Son, coming down to earth and taking on the constraints of human flesh. He grows up in a dusty backwater village. He grows up in a profession that's not very respected, from a place that doesn't get any respect. The same person, the same being, through whom everything was created. And he comes and he lives and he says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Birds and foxes live better, Jesus says, than the Son of Man. And he dies on a criminal's cross. And then he looks at us and he says, we must pick up our cross. And Christ gave up so much for us. I hope we are willing to give up whatever it takes for the sake of his kingdom. And whether that is a relationship, or a pet sin, or a bad habit, or a perception, or a perspective, or whatever it is, whatever it is, is worth it. And when I look at how much Jesus gave up for me, the least I can do is try to do the same for him. As one writer puts it, would-be disciples must always abandon anything that would stand in the way of wholehearted allegiance to Christ and the priorities of the kingdom. I don't know what that is for you personally. I don't know what tempts you personally. 
I don't know what makes you think that maybe being a member of God's kingdom isn't really worth it. But whatever it is, I would encourage you to overcome it. I would encourage you to take the perspective and have the mind of Christ who came down in the form of a servant to suffer for us, to deliver us an entrance into God's kingdom. It is certainly worth it. Next, from this short parable, even though the kingdom's value requires a great cost, it should be paid joyfully. And here's the part that I think is the, not only the easiest to overlook, but the hardest to follow through with. Notice that detail that Jesus adds about the man in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then begrudgingly, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. No. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And that man was able to make a personal sacrifice out of joy because he knew he was increasing in value. His assets were increasing in value. He knew he wasn't losing out on this. Even though it required a great personal sacrifice up front, being the owner of that treasure was worth it. And he does not complain that he has to sell everything he owns. He doesn't regret selling everything he owns in order to buy the field. He does it with joy. And I would contend that this man's joy illustrates his perception of the value of the treasure compared to the value of his possessions. He understands that what he's giving up is not as valuable as what he's gaining. And we will only be able to joyfully sacrifice for God's kingdom when we realize that what we give up for it is not as valuable as what we're gaining. That's the only way to do it with joy. And thankfully, we can be assured that that's the case. Whatever regret we may feel, whatever pain we may feel, or even take that man, for example, whatever regret or pain he felt in selling all of his possessions, it was melted away in the joy of attaining the treasure. Hopefully for us, whatever pain we feel and sacrificing for Jesus has melted away in fellowship with him and entrance into his kingdom. Whatever we give up for God's kingdom should be counted by us as joy. And we give up comfort. We give up our past lives. We give up sin to gain something much better. I would encourage us to adopt the perspective of Paul in Philippians 3, if you would turn there in your Bibles. Philippians 3, and for the sake of context, we'll begin there in verse number 4. Philippians 3, verse 4. And he's talking about these men who have come in and they've unsettled the Christians at Philippi, and they've been boasting in their flesh. And he says to look out for them because they're dogs, they're evildoers, they bind circumcision. They boast in the flesh. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he's reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul gives us his pedigree. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Israel's first king. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee according to the law, according to zeal, a persecutor of the church. 
as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Seven things he gives us. Paul's pedigree. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Why, Paul? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Really, the word there is stronger. Even it could be translated as human excrement. That's how he counts his past, his pride, the things he used to boast in. He counts it as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why, Paul? Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. You see Paul, you see his perspective, you see his outlook, you see what he came from. And he had more reason to boast in the Jewish world than almost anybody. One scholar says whatever Paul would have done, he would have been successful. He had that kind of upbringing. He had that kind of pedigree. And he says it's lower than trash to me. Why? Because it gets in the way between me and Jesus. And whatever Jesus offers me, Paul would say, is more valuable. We need to remember that when we give up for the kingdom, when we sacrifice for the kingdom, we're gaining something much more valuable. Notice with me also Mark chapter 10, verses 24 through 31. Mark 10, 24 through 31. This passage means a lot to me personally because I've experienced this in my own life. And I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in the life of those around us. I've seen it in the lives of some, if not all, of the people here. Mark 10, beginning in verse number 24. This is right after Jesus says it's difficult to have wealth and enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, his disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter, always being the first to speak, he says, See, we've left everything and followed you. What do you mean it's hard to enter heaven? Jesus says, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Peter says, Jesus, that's a little bit unfair. We've left everything Jesus says it wasn't for nothing. You've gained it all right back here in God's kingdom, in the church. And though you might have strained relationships because of following Jesus with your family members, how many family members have you gained? And because you might have strained relationships with some of your old friends because you decided to follow Jesus, how many friends have you gained? And though you may have lost property in houses or lands or whatever it is, 
The believers have all things in common. Look at how much you've gained. And though you've lost all that stuff in this temporary life, look at what you've gained. Eternal life. The joy we have in Christ and with Christ, I hope, brothers and sisters, far excels the joy we had without him. Why? Because the kingdom is worth every single sacrifice. Jesus is worth every single sacrifice. And whether that's denying ourselves or getting out of our comfort zone and going door knocking or whatever it may be, God's kingdom is worth every single sacrifice. I don't have time to cover the next parable, so we'll stop here pretty much. I told Lori I'm probably going to preach for 30 minutes on one verse. And she rolled her eyes and said, great. (laughs) But I hope we leave here encouraged, reminded of the value of what God has given us. Reminded of the fact that it is a joy to sacrifice for God's kingdom. If you're not in God's kingdom, be like the man in the parable. Recognize its worth. Be willing to do whatever it takes to be a part of it. And if that's some difficult repentance, that's what it is. If that's maybe some strained family relationships, that's what it is. If it's swallowing some pride, and realizing that you need to rely on God, then that's what it is. If we're already a part of God's kingdom and we've forgotten its worth, we've become less willing to sacrifice, we've become less joyful about what God has promised us, let's identify what's causing that. Maybe it's a sin, maybe it's pride, maybe we just need to go to God's word and drink deeply and ask him to give us a pure heart. Whatever it is, I hope if you have a need to repent, to join God's kingdom, whatever it is, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and be in that kingdom of light, come now, don't wait as we sing this song.